Side effects include warmth or redness in the face, neck, or chest, stuffy nose, headaches, stomach pain, nausea, diarrhea, and an inability to differentiate between the colors green and blue. That's a real side effects list from one of America's favorite drugs, Viagra. Every day, we are bombarded with advertisements for new medicines and products. But where do all these products come from? Who decides what medicines are safe, and how do they decide? The answer to all these questions comes back to the same thing, clinical trials. I'm Dakota Rowland, and you're listening to the first episode of Putting on a Clinic, Unanticipated Side Effects, brought to you by Crocodile Clinical Trials Consulting. I'm joined today by my long-term friend, Ryan. Ryan is not a clinical trials expert. He's like you and wants to learn more about clinical trials. How are you doing, Ryan? Good. Hey, that colorblindness side effect you mentioned, that's pretty crazy, actually. Yeah, it's not too often you see something like colorblindness showing up as a side effect. But unexpected side effects happen all the time with drugs. In fact, Viagra itself was discovered as a side effect. Oh, really? So what's it supposed to be for, then? Believe it or not, Viagra was actually developed by Pfizer to help treat blood pressure and chest pain. It turned out Viagra didn't work very well for treating blood pressure or chest pain. Pfizer actually decided they were going to stop the trial, but when they tried to get the medication back from the patients, a lot of the patients didn't want to return their medication. A lot of them were experiencing a side effect that they really liked. Any guess what that might be? Uh, maybe something uplifting? <laughs> that is certainly one way to put it. And you're right. The side effect was longer, stronger erections. And for the first time, there's now an oral treatment for erectile dysfunction that we all know today as Viagra. Wow, I never realized we could get medicines out of clinical trials that even failed. I guess I don't really know much at all about clinical trials. You're definitely not alone. I've been working in clinical research for a while now, and I often forget that before I worked in pharmaceuticals, I didn't really know anything about clinical trials either. But clinical trials are really important in everyday life. Clinical trials give us treatments for diseases like HIV and cancer, and can even play a role in everyday items like toothpaste and shampoos. No matter who you are, clinical trials impact you every day, even if you haven't noticed them. Okay, okay, so I get they're important, but I still don't really know what they are. Well, hopefully after listening to this podcast, you and the rest of our listeners will understand a bit more about clinical trials. I'll start you off with the simplest definition I can give. Clinical trials are an approval process regulated by the Food and Drug Administration, better known by their abbreviation, the FDA, to determine that products are not only safe, but that they also work before they can be used by the public. There's a big space out there that clinical trials occupies, and it can be intimidating trying to learn about it on your own. I learn something new about them every day. The rules and ways we do clinical trials are always changing, and as someone who works with clinical trials, I try to keep educating myself about them. But I noticed one big thing when I was reading up on clinical trials. Oh yeah? What's that? Most of the information out there is pretty technical 
and really boring. So hopefully with this podcast, we can not only educate our listeners about clinical trials, but also do it in a way that doesn't put everyone asleep. I guess that could be dangerous for our listeners who are driving right now. True. I think we might need another warning. Listeners, do not operate a vehicle or heavy machinery until you know how listening to putting on a clinic affects you. Okay, okay. So I I get why you wanted to start this podcast, but you still haven't really gotten to the point. What are clinical trials? Well, clinical trials are research studies involving people that are designed to teach us something. Now, that something could be, will this medicine cure a type of cancer? Or something like, will this toothpaste make my smile sparkle? (laughs) It's good to know at least one person managed to listen. Yes, a clinical trial could be used for that, but every clinical trial is different. It all depends on what information we're looking for. In my opinion, the most exciting clinical trials are the ones that are testing brand new products to treat a disease that we didn't have any treatment for. Or maybe we have a treatment, but it doesn't work very well. Maybe because we have too many side effects that make the treatment very difficult for patients to tolerate, or it only works for some people. There are other clinical trials that focus on testing new medical devices, which could be anything from robotic surgery equipment to a tongue depressor. But do we really need to run a clinical trial for tongue depressors? Yes. Clinical trials are designed to ensure products are safe before they can be sold. You wouldn't want someone selling tongue depressors that say, we're made of poison oak, would you? So, do the companies running these trials know their products are going to work? They don't know for sure that their products are going to work until we get the results back from running the trial. But I doubt many companies run a clinical trial they think is going to fail. And why is that? Because running a clinical trial is very expensive. And any company that runs a lot of trials that don't work isn't going to be a company for long. Even a lot of products that do work often take a lot longer and are much more expensive than the company realizes and can end up getting the company into financial trouble. It's not unusual for a clinical trial to cost over 50 million dollars and companies also run the risk that a competitor might beat them to market. They might end up paying a whole lot just to have someone else get there first and make all the money? That's right. Now, while there are no guarantees because everything's experimental, a lot of work has gone into any clinical trial long before a patient ever receives a dose of a medication. So entering a clinical trial means you are getting treatment, but you're getting a treatment that we aren't sure really works? You have the right idea, but being in a clinical trial doesn't always mean you're getting an experimental treatment. Some studies compare a product that we already have to a new product or a new treatment or generic treatment, so you might be getting the existing treatment for free. Other studies use a placebo to make sure the product really is working. Okay, okay, so I've heard of a placebo effect, but if I'm in a clinical trial, isn't it important that I actually get the treatment? This is always an issue when enrolling patients. A lot of patients are worried that they'll be stuck in a study with a treatment that is just a sugar pill, but that's not the case. One of the reasons clinical trials might use a placebo is to ensure the product really does work and there isn't a placebo effect. One of the statistics researchers look at is how many patients on a given treatment or placebo quit a study early. So people in a clinical trial can quit? Yes. 
Patients are free to stop at any point for any reason. This way, if a subject feels a treatment isn't working, they can stop the study and their doctor can help them find another treatment that might work better for that patient. So, do all clinical trials use a placebo? No. The percentage of patients on the placebo depends on the severity of what's being tested. So if you're in a clinical trial for something that isn't very serious, like let's say acne, the percentage of people on the placebo might be pretty high. Pretty high being? Maybe as high as half. That seems pretty high. It is, but that's probably about the highest you'd ever see. And it's important to remember that in an acne study, no one's in any serious danger if their acne isn't being treated with medicine. And acne studies in particular often have a very high placebo effect. So why is that? Every study has specific dosing procedures. For topical acne studies, whether you're on a test product or a placebo, you will wash your face with soap and water before applying the product. Oh, I think I'm seeing how the placebo effect could come into play here. Just the act of washing your face every day probably helps clear up a lot of the patient's acne. That's exactly right. That's why it's important to include a placebo. But like I said earlier, not all studies contain a placebo. If something more severe is being studied, it may be as low as one out of every eight patients are on the placebo, or even not use any placebo at all. So tell me, why do some studies not use any placebo? Well, if someone has a serious disease, it isn't safe to use the placebo. Let's say we were running an HIV study. We have a lot of great treatments available for HIV, but if we were to give someone a placebo as a treatment for their HIV, they could get very sick. Now, if you were someone with HIV, you wouldn't want to sign up for a study that used a placebo. And as a researcher, it wouldn't be ethical to run a study for something as serious as HIV and use a placebo. So it really all depends on what type of clinical trial we're looking at. So what else do clinical trials look at? Clinical trials can deal with all sorts of questions, not just will a treatment work, but they'll also look at different things like varying dose strengths. Other studies could compare treatments in different demographics to find out which treatments doctors should use for different groups of people. There are a lot more of these type of studies being done now that we have better and cheaper genetic testing. Personally, I think that someday all the medical treatment you receive will be tailored for your specific genome, but we're still a long way from doing that. Other clinical trials compare new treatments to existing treatments to either prove that they work just as well or even better than the treatments we have. How do researchers decide which treatments are better? There are a couple ways they do that. One of the ways clinical trials determine if a new treatment might be better than an existing product is in the reduction of side effects. So shortening that long list that you read off at the beginning of, of this podcast. That's the idea. So do researchers know what kind of side effects are going to happen when a patient takes a drug? Not exactly. Everything's experimental in a clinical trial. But usually, there's a list of expected side effects. These are all covered with a patient before a patient ever starts a trial, but researchers are always on high alert for any new side effects that might be unanticipated. So what do they do to try and protect patients against unanticipated side effects? 
There's a system in place for any study to let all the researchers and doctors working on a trial know about any new side effects that come up. But this first starts with the patient. It is important for patients to communicate with their doctor to let them know any side effects they might be experiencing. That way, the doctor can make the best decision possible for the patient and make sure that the other researchers on the study are also aware that there might be some unanticipated side effects. So let's say there's a bunch of unexpected side effects. Can, can a patient stop a trial or should they? That all depends on what those side effects are and what the treatment is. It's between the patient and the doctor to decide if a certain side effect make the trial more trouble than it's worth. For instance, if you were on a hepatitis C study and you were experiencing some minor headaches, it's probably still in your best interest to stay on the trial. But that's between the doctor and the patient. If there is a certain side effect that was unanticipated that happens in multiple subjects, then the protocol for a trial may need to be rewritten to make sure we are keeping patients safe. So you just mentioned protocol, what is that? A protocol is like a recipe for a trial. It's all the steps and ingredients needed to make a research study successful. There are a lot of different people that work together to ensure a trial is completed correctly and safely. That's actually the topic of our next episode, titled, The Doctor Will See You Now. Sounds great, I look forward to hearing all about that one. I'm excited about it as well. Thank you all for tuning in. I'm Dakota Roland with Crocodile CTC, and this has been Putting on a Clinic, Unanticipated Side Effects. Hopefully, at this point, I've said enough to convince all of our listeners that they should care. If you do care and want to learn more about clinical trials or have any questions, check out our website at crocodilectc.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at CrocodileCTC. A special thanks goes out to our producer and theme songwriter, Brent Baer. Tune in next time as we welcome another clinical trials expert, Stephen Basco, along with Crocodile CTC's medical director, Dr. Joshua Rowland, to talk about all the different people involved in clinical trials and what they do to make clinical trials work.